this is uh, case 22, Vasubandhu. This is from the Denkoroku, transmission of the light. One day, Jayata said to Vasubandhu, even though I may not seek after enlightenment, I do not act contrary to it. Even though I may not be doing prostrations before the Buddha, I'm not spiritually negligent. Even though I may not be sitting in meditation, I am not lazy. Even though I may not eat just one meal a day, I am not gluttonous. Even though I may not know what is enough, I am not covetous. In my heart, there's nothing that I seek. I call this the way. When Vasubandhu heard this, he realized the wisdom that is free from all defilements and desires. <clears throat> Kezan's commentary. The disciples of Buddha set up various kinds of pure regulations to show the disciplined behavior of Buddhas and Zen masters. However, clinging to them obsessively becomes an affliction and a passion. Furthermore, if you must reject birth and death and seek the way beyond, yet cannot cut off the beginningless process of dying in one place and being born in another, what state would you consider attainment of the way? Yet you want to seek the way while being caught up in all these things. It is all misunderstanding. Kazan's verse. The wind transverses the vast sky. Clouds emerge from the mountains. Feelings of enlightenment and things of the world are of no concern at all. So today we're wrapping up the spring ango period and enter a different kind of training period that is not less important or less conducive to our practice. You may remember the last line from the koan I spoke about a couple of weeks ago when King Ji said to his student, gaining a peaceful society is accomplished by a general, but it cannot be maintained by a general. One of the purposes of engaging with Ango period is to teach us how to cultivate and maintain a disciplined practice so we don't get swayed away by everyday life or by our harmful tendencies. Without sustaining the resolve, we tend to follow our habitual streams and find ourselves again and again trapped in them. It is through the practice of discipline that we become less self-involved, learn to reclaim the attention from the thief nature and allow Buddha nature to lead the way. So obviously it's essential to know how to bring up the general from within and how to cut through the entanglements and complications. So it's necessary. But it is equally important and necessary to know how to lighten up without losing touch with Buddha nature or the essence of our being. Otherwise, the so-called general is no longer employed as skillful means for our liberation. And we can quickly become further trapped in our rigid idea of Buddhism or what we think Zen is. 
in the Shobo Genzo, Dogen describes his own journey and he spoke about how he got trapped in his ideas about practice, about Zen. And he said, I recall my own indulgence in conceptualization as my tying myself up without a rope. It was a fetter at every moment, for the tree of self had not fallen and the wisteria vines of my entanglements had not withered away. This was simply my passing through life whilst meaninglessly imprisoned in a cave of ignorance on the periphery of Buddhism. I did not realize that my Dharma body was ill. So today, I would like to use Vasubandhu's story to examine how do we understand discipline in relation to formal Zen practice. And now we can use discernment so we don't get too uptight about our practice or conversely, take it lightly and slack off. And this koan is from a book titled The Transmission of the Light, Denkoloku, which is a translation. It's a collection of 53 short biographies of successive Buddhist masters, beginning with the Buddha and ending with Kun Ejo, who was Dogen's successor. And it offers a good representation of the evolution of our tradition from classic Buddhist teaching in India to the inception of Zen in China. And then to the beginning of the Japanese Soto school. The book was compiled by Keizan Jokin, who wrote commentaries and a verse for each of the cases. And so this case brings up an encounter between Jayata, who was a Buddhist teacher in direct succession of the Buddha, 20th generations after the Buddha died, and Vasubandhu, who was already ordained at that time and was leading a congregation of practitioners. And he said that, Vasubandhu took only one meal a day and never lay down. Six, time a, six times a day he made prostrations to the Buddha. And he was known by his disciples to be self-restrained and without desires. So it looks like Vasubandhu can be an example of a devoted practitioner. But what was he devoted to is the question to bring up. Was it the practice or was it his idea of what formal practice should look like? And so Jayata, it says, preparing to lead him to the other shore, began by questioning Vasubandhu's followers. And he said to them, this busy ascetic is able to practice morality, but is, is he capable of finding the Buddha's path to enlightenment? And the crowd replied, our teacher is diligence itself. Why could he not? Or how could he not? Jayata then said, your teacher is far from the path. Even if he were to practice his asceticism for endless kalpas, it would be nothing but a source of vain delusion. Then Jayata went on to say, do you understand my words? My reasons for saying this about your teacher is that his search for enlightenment is too eager. If the harp string is too tight, it will snap. Therefore, 
I did not praise him, but made him abide in the state of peace and enter the knowledge of all Buddhas. In the commentary, Kazan says, if you think there is Buddhahood to attain and a way to find, and if you fast and do ascetic practices with that thought, or sit for long periods of time without lying down, or do prostrations and recite scriptures for the sake of building up merits and attaining the way, all of it is raining flowers in a flowerless sky. Even if you pass eons this way, you will never experience a bit of liberation. Indeed, not craving anything is called the way. So even if it is enlightenment you want, this is still based on greed. I want to attain enlightenment. Now this is also echoing Buddha, Buddha Dharma, Buddha Dharma's essence what Bodhidharma was teaching is that as long as you do something for the sake of something, then you can easily get caught up in that. And he also said that will be in vain. Therefore, every one of these practices is based on delusion. It is not your original self. And he says the disciples of the Buddha set up various kinds of pure regulations to show the disciplined behavior of Buddhas and Zen masters. Now clinging to them obsessively becomes an affliction in the mind. While clinging to anything becomes an affliction. Clinging itself actually creates what we are trying to free ourselves from. What we cling to doesn't really matter. It's the grasping itself that we have to inquire into. And furthermore, if you must reject birth and death and everyday life, life itself, and seek beyond, a way beyond, yet you cannot cut off the beginningless process of dying in one place and being born in another, what state would you consider attainment of the way? Yet you want to attain the way while being caught up in all these things. This is, as he says, all a misunderstanding. And for this reason, though we speak of overturning delusion to attain enlightenment or of transforming ordinary people into sages, all this is a talk for people who are not yet enlightened. So it may be skillful if we know how to use it. What ordinariness is there to transform? What delusion is there to awaken from? And then he goes on to quote Master Jashan, who said, Clearly, there is no phenomenon of enlightenment. The doctrine of enlightenment deludes people. So stretch out your legs and sleep. Go to sleep for a while. Rest. Chill out. There is no falsehood and there is no reality. The essence of the way is truly like this. And Kezan says that even when Basubandhu, Basubandhu heard Jayata's teaching, he realized then, sorry, back to this. When Vasubandhu heard Jayata's teaching, he realized uncontaminated knowledge. 
And then he adds, if you want to realize uncontaminated knowledge, you should maintain your true self. If you want to maintain your true self, you should know that from birth to death, it is just this. It is just this. And this is what we need to inquire through. What does it mean it is just this? So my thoughts, my worries, my concerns, are they verifying that self? Is that it? Because if that was it, then why practice? But it's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look, examine how your mind, how your grasping nature shifts from one thing to another. So we enter practice from being in a grasping state of being, and then we continue grasping from within the practice. Then how would the practice be effective? Or we can ask that, a part of the facade, is there anything that's different in terms of the grasping nature? So there is, of course, a need, an urgent need to develop strong discipline and to work on it, right? And to work on staying, learning to stay. But then how we do that? is essential because if we do that with the same mindset of wanting something or wanting something else then that becomes the trap itself as Ejo Dogen's Dahlmeyer said if you want to be a person of suchness practice suchness without delay now today urgently and then he added being that you are already such a person why worry about such a thing You're already that. How do you peel away the layers that are saying that there is a need to search for someone else? So after Vasubandhu experienced realization, apparently that was a profound experience for him, that, in, that interaction or the meeting. He wrote some verses to express it, and here are two examples of what he expressed. He said, nothing is born, nothing dies. Nothing to hold on to, nothing to release. Samsara is nirvana, there is nothing to attain. Non-attainment is attainment. Or non-searching is finding. Another one, he says, when we realize that afflictions are none other than enlightenment, we can ride the waves of birth and death in peace, traveling in the boat of compassion on the ocean of delusion, smiling the smile of non-fear. Because it's always available. It's the non, only the non-doing doing that can free us from the feverishly doing that we get caught up in. 
And even with that, right? So we practice not doing. There's no end to that. Because even when we practice non doing or we practice sitting and in zazen, and we are we're learning to allow our thoughts to come and go freely, even that, there is further, there is deeper, there is more refinement or further refinement. Because on the deeper layers, there is still the grasping mind working in the background. The thief nature still trying. Okay, if you don't give me this, how about that? Right, trying to bargain. How about this? Okay, you're not this, but you can be that. Now you are a practitioner. Now you're wearing robes. Now you're chanting. You must be that person. So you can find yourself there. Oh, I can find myself there, is what we're saying to ourselves. So Vasubandhu realized that he, in the same way, tied himself up with his own interpretations of formal practice and used disciplined, discipline in a rigid way. So it's not saying that there's something wrong with discipline, obviously not. But how we use discipline is something we need to look into. So after his encounter with Jayata, something shifted in him. Something moved. Something opened up. The heart expanded. And he was able to loosen up the rigidity of his mind and change the way he was practicing. If anything, his practice actually went deeper when he relaxed a little bit. And so to be, to be devoted to the path does not mean to be devoted to our own interpretations of it or to the way we think we are supposed to look and sound like. If that was the case, then there will be no path of liberation to speak of or no practice tradition to follow or engage with. Devotion to a practice tradition that teaches not dwelling means to acknowledge the rigidity of our mind and to examine the strong desire to grasp our mental constructs and perceptions. And to examine how when we see through one, there is another set already being perpetuated in the background or built up in the background. Of course, there are many aspects of formal practice, and all those aspects are actually very skillful and conducive for softening our, our inflexible and often uptight ways of being. So they do serve a purpose. When we engage with the practice wholeheartedly, we do become more aware of our grasping, inflexible mind. Maybe we should say we can become more aware of that. And then we can gradually awaken from our conjured up version of reality into reality itself. And into reality itself doesn't mean more than being reality itself. So it's not that we, enter, we have to step out of one and enter something else. We have to stop stepping into altogether.
but we need to be watchful and stay alert so we don't get tied up and trapped by any aspect of formal practice. Because if we don't do that, right, otherwise it will, it is, what is meant to be liberating will become another source of nourishment for a separate sense of self, aka the ego. Although the practice itself has clear parameters, we should not use it to create a mental construct and expect it to solve problems, eliminate challenges, or make the unknown known. Because often that's what we want. So if I cannot find the known this way, then I'm going to try that way. That will explain to me what I'm puzzled about, what I'm unclear about. But again, who is saying that, right? And who is saying that there's something wrong about being unclear? Or as we say, who told you that the crooked is not straight? Or the straight is not crooked? It's not who told you, who is telling it to you now? Because I definitely believe that this is not and this is. This is right and this is wrong. And that leads me in my search, in my practice, in the way I'm practicing, or upholding the practice. Because in reality itself, there, there is no set of guidelines that will tell you exactly how to meet each moment. What kind of clothes you have to put on at what time. What you will need to say. How you will feel. What kind of environment and circumstances you will encounter or who will we meet along the way. It's all wide open, unpredictable. And me, that means that you too, we have to be unpredictable, wide open, unknown. To meet the unknown from, the, from an idea of known, obviously is going to create constant clashing. But what if I meet the unknown from being unknown? Then am I not already merged? Because if I'm okay with being unknown, then meeting unknown is not a threat. I'm not looking for that. Then the practice works. So we can say that we need to cultivate, using the practice, a state of being that is always willing to change and adapt. Always willing to examine, to let go. To be comfortable with discomfort. So as we shift now, today, right, finishing Ango, as we shift from the skillful and meaningful structure of an ango period to a looser and more open period of what we can call summer practice, we need to keep the finger on the pulse of the practice and maintain the cultivation of strong resolve regardless of the activity, regardless of the location or the circumstances. Now, it's important to keep in mind that everything and anything can be 
an entry point to realization and liberation. Anything. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we do or who we are talking about or talking with or how triggered we may be in a certain circumstance. Essentially, everything can be a source of practice or can be practiced. And then equally, everything can be a source of frustration and further suffering. So we can either go through life, moment by moment life, with the intention to practice it as a way to liberate ourselves, or we can go through moment by moment life and complain and be grumpy about it and want something else. All of it boils down, all of it, a moment by whether we are up on a mountain practicing Sashin or being caught up in whatever it is we're caught up in, in life. Moment by moment practice boils down to the degree of our willingness to view any encounter in life as an opportunity for realizing liberation from the self. It always comes down to that. This is what we mean by unknown. The only thing that I can know is what I create. That's the only thing I can know for sure. Because I created it, so I know it to be that. I know me to be this. And I'm going to protect that because I know that to be true. And you are here to threaten that, therefore I will retaliate. So at any given moment, and if we are willing to be honest, we will see that any given moment, there will be remnants or sometimes very strong appearance of a grasping self. Whether it's within formal practice, the discipline of formal practice, or moment by moment life encounters. Hanging out with family, going to the beach, getting stuck in traffic on the way to the beach. Whatever it is, here is the opportunity. And then what's, what's important is that we know how to sustain the practice. We, we know how to sustain the preciousness of a Sangha while we are not within the Sangha, sangha practices on a regular basis. Because there are periods that we get busy whether it's family, whether it's work, whether it's vacation, or many other things. So it's possible that weeks go by that we haven't been with the Sangha in a formal way, sitting together, supporting each other. But we just spent three months looking at interconnectedness. Then why, why should that matter? Right? So are we drifting away because we are not physically together for a couple of weeks? Are we drifting away from seeing the preciousness of a Sangha? Are we drifting away from seeing into our true nature? Or are we becoming more and more contracted that it appears to be that way? It only appears to be that way.
but because we so believe, we believe our thoughts so much, we create a reality from that. And then sometimes people say, I haven't been to the Zendo for weeks or months. Now I feel bad and I'm not going to come back. What are we following then? So many ways to practice liberation from the self. So many ways to see how the self comes back up and wants to claim or reclaim lost territories. You know, Dharma teachers look for one thing, and it's that. Right? It's not how well you can chant, how's your bowing, how your robes, are you paying attention to this or that? No, it's not that at all. Or how many koans you've done. It really comes down to watching people and seeing the degree of selflessness. That's what it always boils down to. And then you can, it's not that difficult to see, right, in ourselves, in others, how much self is there. Are we, how willing are you to drop and move on, drop and move on? Slightest grasping, there it is. There it is. What are you defending? What's the problem? Move on. Hear me out first. What if I don't? You go somewhere else. Someone else will hear this story. Or I'll find somebody who's interested in my story. Master Shido Bunan said, die while alive and be completely dead. Then do whatever you will. All is good. But you must die first on a momentary basis. You die to your own creation. Then, doesn't matter, lay down, take a nap, sit upright, do zazen. No, zazen is better than laying down. May not be. So we need to know how to practice tightening it up immediately when it's needed and loosening it up immediately when that is needed. And remember to not create a self from either one. Because you're neither this one nor that one. You're not going to find yourself in either side of this made up duality. And also when we lose touch with the source of our being, we get in touch with it, we feel it, we lose touch with it. It doesn't mean that it becomes unavailable or it's out of reach. All it means is that we got distracted. We became contracted. And then when we become contracted, the conventional reality prevails. And the conventional reality 
is where I find myself. If I don't know how to function within it while being dead off or being selfless, then I'm going to find myself there. And now I'm done with formal practice. Oh, I want to run to formal practice. So die and be completely dead. The dragon howling in the wither tree. It's not that kind of dying. It's the dying that springs to life, that make you spring to life. That's why it's called the great death. So, that's the question, and this is what I want us to look at. So when we go through the sharing, so, reflections from personal experiences during this ango, I would like us to look at it as a period of learning something, right? Here's what I've done, here's what I've learned, and how do I apply it going forward? What, what have I learned about myself? What have I learned about the way I'm practicing? And does it really help me to sustain the resolve going forward, regardless of what I'm doing next, regardless of what my plans for the summer are? So before we do that, I want to deeply thank Enkai for all her great work, for being so responsive and responsible working with her own deepening, and also being available for everybody, and encouraging through her creative expressions and emails. And if you haven't read those, you may want to compile them and send them in one file. How's that? Okay, thank you. We should start a new tradition. And of course, uh, Segyoku, Kyotai, Tairyu, everybody, right, for, for creating those workshops, for participating in the workshops, for helping everybody, for helping us all to deepen our practice, to make it more meaningful, to make it more conducive, to expand. And thank you for everybody, for all of you who stuck with it, who are participating. To be continued. <laughs>